Mr. Maxa, we are happy to have each one of you here today for our Sunday morning worship service. If you're visiting with us today, we're happy and <clears throat> honored to have you with us. And come back anytime you can be here with us at McCoinsville. June the 1st, in the year 2000, was the opening night in, of the third and final Billy Graham crusade in Nashville. There were two gospel preachers, Brother Garland Elkins and Brother James McGill, who had written three tracts exposing Billy Graham's doctrines, errors in doctrine. And they printed 100,000 copies of each one of those tracts. So on that night, the entire student body from the Memphis School of Preaching came to Nashville. And along with other members of the church, they gave out thousands of those tracks on the sidewalks outside of what is today called Nissan Stadium. The track that they gave out that night was titled Baptism, the Bible, and Billy Graham. And here is a summary of the message in that little tract. As Billy Graham closed his sermons, he would often tell his, his hearers that there were three things they must do to be saved. Number one is repent. And Graham would then give a, a good definition of repentance. Now that requirement is biblical. On the day of Pentecost in 33 AD, when the church began, and Peter preached that first great gospel sermon, thousands of people were cut to the heart and they asked Peter and the other apostles the question, what shall we do? And in Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The second thing that Billy Graham would tell people and his audience to do is to believe. And he would stress that this means total trust in Jesus. And again, Billy Graham was scripturally correct in saying that belief is necessary. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And the third thing that Billy Graham would tell people to do in his sermons, was to live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Now there are many New Testament scriptures that command that. So Billy Graham was correct in saying that all three of those commands must be obeyed for a person to be saved. Repent, 
believe and live for Jesus. Now we might wonder why he put repentance before belief or faith. Because in the recorded cases of conversion from the time the church began in the book of Acts, it was always faith or belief that came first. And that motivated and led to the other acts of obedience. But here's the important point that Brother Elkins and Brother McGill made in, in their tract. There are more than those three things that a person must do to be saved. This morning, we're continuing with the sermon series on the theme, Questions That Deserve Answers. So far in this series, we've studied the answers to the questions, is the Bible truly the Word of God? Was Jesus truly the Son of God? And is there only one true church? And we study why the answer to each one of those questions is absolutely yes from the Bible and from history. So the question that we're studying and answering this morning is like the others, a question that many people today are confused about and disagree about. And you might have already figured out the question from the illustration that we started out with. The question that deserves an answer today is the question, is baptism necessary for salvation? Is baptism necessary for salvation? As we said, Billy Graham was correct on three of the steps in God's plan of salvation. But you know, to leave out any of the steps changes the gospel. It changes the plan of salvation just as much as adding some unscriptural act to it. Suppose that you're giving somebody directions to a certain destination in a, in a big city. And suppose there are five turns that the person must make. Five turns. Now you must correctly tell him about all five turns for him to reach his destination. And if you neglect to mention any turn, even just one turn, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, that person will be lost and will not get to his destination. 
for half a century. Billy Graham consistently failed to include baptism when he told those huge crowds of thousands of people what they must do to be saved. Now, he's dead and gone now. But others in his organization still make the same mistake. Probably all of you have seen the TV spots from, from this man, Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham. In one of his new TV ads, he says this, and I quote, If you're willing to repent and turn from your sins and believe by faith on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Just pray this prayer with me. God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe Jesus is your son. I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord. You know, in that TV ad, we see, we see those same three things that his father preached that a person must do to be saved. Repent, believe, and live for Jesus. That prayer that he wanted people to pray is what we sometimes call the sinner's prayer. Repent, believe, live for Jesus. But not a word, not a word about baptism. And you know the same thing is true about a, a great many TV preachers today. The doctrine that salvation can happen before and without baptism has been preached millions of times since it first began to be taught in Europe about five centuries ago. And it's just as false today as it was then. When men like John Calvin invented the doctrine back in the 1500s, In 1979, during another Billy Graham crusade in Nashville at Vanderbilt Stadium, somebody asked a member of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association this question, point blank. They asked the person, why does Billy Graham not include the command to be baptized in his preaching? And the short and very unsatisfactory answer was this, because it is a controversial subject. Now the necessity and purpose of baptism is indeed a controversial subject in religion today. So let's first this morning take a look at two basic views about baptism that are believed and, and taught today. Two basic views. First of all, there are many religions today that teach that a person must 
believe in Jesus and repent of sins. And then at that point, Jesus forgives his or her sins. In other words, belief plus repentance equals forgiveness. Now that's basically what Billy Graham preached. And some add that he or she must confess Jesus. So according to that view, baptism is not necessary to receive forgiveness of sins. And there are some who even plainly teach that a person can or should be baptized only after he or she has been forgiven. They say the only purpose of baptism is to provide a sign or a symbol to show others that he or she has been saved or maybe to join a certain denomination. That's the basic teaching of the Baptist, the Methodist, and the Presbyterian denominations today. One writer in a Baptist publication said this, Baptism doesn't save, doesn't help save. And I'll go even further to say that it doesn't have anything in this world to do with the saving of a soul. The Life Church website says this about baptism. Water baptism is not an act of salvation. Water baptism is an outward expression or symbol, there it is, that shows what Jesus has done in us and for us. The Seventh-day Adventists have what they call a baptismal vow that requires a person before baptism to answer this question. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And do you believe that God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven your sins and given you a new heart? That's why, that's why when a person has the desire to be baptized, many denominations schedule him or her for a baptismal service sometime off in the future. They believe the person is already saved even though he or she has not been baptized. So hey, there's no big hurry. What's the hurry? Now, that is standard doctrine in a great, great many denominations today even though some don't publicize it and talk about it. Now, secondly, the other view of baptism is that a person must be baptized to receive remission of sins. It's the view that a person must truly believe in Jesus, repent of their sins, and confess the name of Christ. 
But this view is that sins are not forgiven until a person is baptized. And it's the blood of Christ that cleanses a person's sins. And that means that the purpose of baptism is to receive salvation or forgiveness. To be a scriptural baptism, it must be done for the purpose of being cleansed or freed from sins by the blood of Christ. So therefore, a person stands pure before God only after, only after he or she has been baptized, not before. Now, I hope that everyone here understands that this is, that is the New Testament doctrine that should be taught, that should be taught in the one true church, Christ church, the church of Christ. And in the next part of this sermon today, we're going to prove that. We're going to prove that by what the New Testament says on the subject of baptism. For the next few moments, we're going to look at and study six fundamental New Testament passages about the purpose of baptism. And there are others besides these six that teach the same principles. So let's begin with Mark 16, 15 and 16 that we already mentioned this morning. It's on the screen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now the he there in that passage is Jesus. And that passage contains what we often call the Great Commission. So where, where does that passage put salvation in relation to baptism? Does salvation come before baptism or after it as a result of it? Now, it should be clear from that passage, just looking at it, reading it, that we can't be saved before baptism any more than we can before believing. You know, it's like one plus one equals two. Take away either one of the ones and you don't have two. And likewise, if you take away either belief or baptism, you no longer have salvation. Now, somebody might argue, and some denominations do argue this, that verse 16, that verse 16 says, you'll be condemned if you don't believe, but it doesn't say that you'll be condemned if you're not baptized. You know, the New Testament doesn't always spell out what we have to do to be lost. 
It tells us what we have to do to be saved. And we need to have the sense to realize that if we don't do that, we will be lost. In that passage, Jesus mentions two things that we must do to be saved. To be lost, you only need to leave out one of them. If you don't believe, you probably wouldn't be baptized in the first place. And if you did, it wouldn't do any good. To be saved, you must both believe and be baptized according to Mark 16, verse 16. So I want you to notice the difference between what people say and what the New Testament says. People say, he who believes is saved and may then be baptized. But the gospel says he who believes and is baptized will be saved. You see, both belief and baptism are necessary to receive salvation. All right, number two. Let's look next at Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. Here it is. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So where does that passage put remission of sins in relation to baptism? Are sins forgiven before baptism or as a result of it? Now notice that the purpose of baptism is clearly, clearly stated. It's for the remission of sins. So what does for remission of sins mean? Now some denominations argue that the word for in that verse means because of, because of. And so they read that verse this way. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the remission of sins. In other words, they're saying that the remission of sins already happened before baptism. They're using the word for, the little word for, in this way, like in this example. He got a ticket for or because of speeding. The speeding happened before the ticket. And the ticket was for or because of his speeding. Now, the word for can sometimes be used that way in English. But the word for in the original Greek does not mean that in Acts 2.38. And you know there are certain translations that make that clear. 
like the American Standard Version, which says this. Repent ye and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, look at it, unto the remission of your sins. And think about the people to whom Peter was preaching and speaking in Acts 2. If the word for in that verse means because they already had remission of sins, then Peter must have been preaching to save people on the day of Pentecost. So was he? Was he? He had just convicted them of the sin of killing Jesus in Acts 2.36. And in verse 37, they were pricked in their hearts and asked what they should do. And Peter told them to repent in verse 38. So if they already had remission of sins, here's the big question. If they already had remission of sins, then why did they need to repent? You see, the command to repent proves that those people on Pentecost were not already saved. They were still sinners needing to receive salvation. Let's look next at 1 Peter 3.21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the preceding verse in that chapter, verse 20, says that Noah and his family were saved by or through water. We know the water of the great flood destroyed the wicked. But it also saved Noah because it bore the ark up and it saved Noah and his family from death. And that illustrates the fact that baptism is what saves us. That doesn't mean that we're physically washing dirt off of our bodies. There's no, there's no cleansing power in the water itself. But the power is in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we contact that blood in the waters of baptism. Let's look next at Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So according to that verse, how many people, how many people are in Christ? Answer, as many as have been baptized into him is the answer. Now what if a person has not been baptized into Christ? Well, then that person is not in him. Why is it important to be in Christ? Well, here are four New Testament reasons. 
and where to find them. Number one, forgiveness of sins is in Christ. Number two, salvation is in Christ. Number three, eternal life is in the Son. Number four, all spiritual blessings are in Christ. So if a person is outside of Christ, he doesn't have forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, or spiritual blessings. But how does one get into Christ? Galatians 3.27 says that he must be baptized into Christ. So what's the condition of someone who has not been baptized or who does not believe that baptism is for the purpose of being saved? Hearing, believing, repentance, and confession are all necessary steps toward Christ. But baptism is the step that puts a person into Christ. Before baptism, a person is still outside of Christ. Number five, let's look next at Romans 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That verse says that we are baptized into Jesus' death. So why is that important to us? Why is Jesus' death important to us? Well, it was in his death that he shed his blood that saves us from sin. And how do we come into contact with it? Well, that verse says that we're baptized into it. In baptism, we receive the benefits of Jesus' death. So what then is the condition of those who argue that you're saved before baptism or that baptism is not necessary for the remission of sins? Well, the answer to that question ought to be obvious. They are still in a lost condition. Number six, let's look finally at Acts twenty-two sixteen. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So where is the washing away of sins in that verse? Is it before baptism or is it a result that follows Baptism. Now you can see the answer right there on the screen for yourself. Now, the sinner in that account that Ethan read the text from is Saul of Tarsus. And Saul had already done before baptism, everybody get this, Saul had done before baptism everything that most denominations say a person must do to be saved. 
He had seen Jesus on the Damascus Road. He had obviously believed in him and was willing to follow him. And Saul had been praying. If anybody could be saved before baptism, it would have been Saul. Jesus had told Saul, as we read, to go into the city of Damascus, and he would be told what he must do. And after three days, Ananias came to Saul and told him to be baptized and wash away his sins. Now, if sins are forgiven before baptism, then Saul would have had no sins to wash away. But he still had his sins until he was baptized. So today, even though a person may believe in Jesus and repent, He's still guilty of all of his sins until he's baptized. That's why, that's why in New Testament cases of conversion, people never postpone baptism. People never postpone baptism. In every case, as soon as the sinner believed the gospel, and repented, he or she was baptized immediately. Acts 2.41. That day, about 3,000 were baptized on Pentecost. That day. Acts 8.36. What hinders me from being baptized? Acts 9.18. Immediately he arose and was baptized. Acts 16.33, the same hour of the night. Immediately he and all his family were baptized. And then Saul's account in Acts 22.16, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. You see, when churches, when religions postpone the baptism of penitent believers, to some future date, they're not following the New Testament pattern on the urgency of baptism. Of course, the reason, the reason they postpone baptism is that they don't believe the correct purpose of baptism. They believe the person is already saved and baptism is just a symbol. So what's the hurry? What's the hurry? For example, the Life Church website says this. At our church, we make baptism available several times throughout the year. And we invite people to sign up to be baptized. So you have to sign up to be baptized. And that's maybe a month or more off in the future. So those six passages that we've looked at this morning 
show us the real New Testament purpose of baptism. Mark 16, 16, baptism is required in order to be saved. Acts 2, 38, baptism is for in order to receive remission of sins. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism saves us. Galatians 3.27, we are baptized into Christ. Romans 6.3, we are baptized into Jesus' death. And Acts 22.16, be baptized and wash away your sins. Those are all different ways of saying the same thing. To teach that a person is saved before baptism is teaching a gospel that is different from what Jesus authorized and what the apostles taught. So baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, some of you right now are hoping that I'm finished. You're hoping that I'm done. All right? But I'm not going to preach a sermon on baptism and not say a thing about the correct definition of baptism. Because there are denominations today that pour or sprinkle water on people's heads and then they say they baptize them. Knowing the correct definition of baptism is really just as important as understanding that it's necessary for salvation and remission of sins. After all, if God told us to baptize with a certain action in mind and then we do something different, we've not actually obeyed him. There are two Greek words used by the inspired writers of the New Testament. Baptizo and baptismo. And in English, we translate those as baptize and baptism. Now, the definitions of those two Greek words mean to immerse, to plunge, or to dip. There is not one standard Greek dictionary that defines baptizo as to sprinkle or to pour. Not one. In fact, there are two totally different Greek words for pouring and sprinkling. And they're right there on the screen. So the correct definition of baptism is immersion. And you know, when we understand that, it makes the New Testament language used to describe baptism much, much more clear. For example, when Paul says in Romans 6 verse 4 that we're buried with Christ in baptism, that makes a lot more sense when we connect that with actually burying someone in immersion in water rather than sprinkling them with just a little bit of water. 
How many, how many funeral directors would sprinkle some dirt over somebody's coffin and say they buried them? And understanding baptism to be immersion also helps us to better understand what was done by those who baptized others in the New Testament. For example, in John 3.23, we read that John the baptizer was baptizing in Enon near Salem, look at it, because there was much water there. Now, if baptism is sprinkling or pouring a little water over somebody's head, then why would John need to go where there was a lot of water? In Acts chapter 8, in the account of Philip baptizing the eunuch, verses 38 and 39 say, And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Now baptism is defined as sprinkling a few drops of water over the eunuch's head. Then why would both of them need to go down into the water and come back up out of the water? In fact, the eunuch wouldn't even have to leave his chariot to be sprinkled. And Jesus, when he was baptized by John in Matthew 3 and Mark chapter 1, Jesus also was said to come up out of the water. And that shows that our Lord himself was immersed in water when he was baptized. Some of you may recognize that picture. The well-known preacher, Brother Marshall Keeble, is said to have baptized as many as 40,000 people in his lifetime. That's an amazing accomplishment. And here in his own words is how he described the importance of baptism. Marshall Keeble said, Water is important in a man's life. God created water first, and then he created man out of dust. Without water, dust wouldn't stick. There's power in the water. There's water in a car. There's power in that water. If you don't believe it, try going home without it in the radiator. And you've got a burned up car. Now try to get a man to go to heaven without water, and you've got a burned up man. Try going to heaven without water, and you've got a burned up church. Some say you're saved before baptism. Christ said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, you can't say you're saved before baptism. Besides, you're calling God a liar. You can't go to, go to heaven calling God a liar. You can call me a liar, but not him. A man is not saved and then baptized. A woman doesn't wash clothes because they're already clean. 
I've seen a lot of smart women, but not that smart. She washes clothes because they're dirty. Man is baptized because he's dirty and needs to be cleansed. The gospel is made up of five pills that will cure anything. First pill, hear. Second pill, believe. Third pill, repent. Fourth pill, confess. Fifth pill, baptism. Take them with water and they'll cure sin. This morning, if you're not a member, a part of God's family, the one true church, then you're in a lost condition without salvation. You're not in a saved condition until you've heard the gospel preached and believed that Jesus is the Christ and repented of your past sins and confessed Jesus as the Son of God and then be immersed in water, baptized for or unto the remission of sins. You can obey the gospel and be baptized today. Today. Not next month or a few months from now. And be in the same condition today. Or if you've fallen away from Christ through sin in your life, you can confess that sin today and be restored to full fellowship with Him. If you're subject today to the invitation, we invite you to come. As together we stand and sing.